Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you can't stand Trump and don't know why anyone who's intelligent, well-educated, and cares about their community could possibly support him, this episode is for you. The route to solutions sometimes involves understanding those you disagree with. Is populism bigger than Trump? Selena Zito. Modern populism today is a healthy skepticism about large things, big things, big institutions, big government, big entertainment, big sports. I mean, this coalition just isn't impacting the ballot box. It's having an impact in how we consume things. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? If you think Trump is an aberration and that American politics will get back to normal when he's no longer in the White House, this episode might change your mind. Today, we look at the future of populism and why it may have a lot more staying power than most Democrats and, in fact, many Republicans would like to admit. Our guest is journalist Selena Zito, co-author of The Great Revolt, about the populist coalition that reshaped American politics. Selena writes for the New York Post and the Washington Examiner, and you've probably seen her work in the Atlantic Monthly as well. Selena Zito joins us via Skype from Annapolis, Maryland. So first question, Selena, a lot of people I know think Trump supporters are mostly old, dumb, and white. Tell us why that's completely wrong. Old, dumb, white, and bigoted or racist. That is typically what I hear people who don't know or live near and or around Trump voters. But these voters are very diverse. Now, not racially diverse. They're majority white. Uh, Trump did attract the same amount of uh, African-American voters that the past Republican candidates have and uh, the same amount of Hispanic, but they are overwhelmingly white. And um, they're not dumb, and not only in the, in the reporting, but also in the data that we did to back up the reporting, found that Trump voters are college-educated and middle-class to upper-middle-class. Uh, now, in, in that the- reporting... You also dive into a number of regions around the country. One of them was Ashtabula County in Ohio, which 
went 55 percent for Obama in 2012 and then 57 percent for Trump in 2016. Just an incredible swing. And you met somebody there named Bonnie Smith. Tell us a little bit about her. She was a Democrat all of her life. She worked as a um, as a deputy sheriff for 32 years. And the day after she retired, she walked across the street and got the keys for her own business, a lifelong dream to own a bakery. She called it legally sweet. Um, and, it's pretty good. <laughs> I know it is really good. And she gets up at one forty-five every morning and she literally makes the donuts and the soup and the sandwiches. She's on this main street in Ashtabula, Ohio, and half the, of the main street is closed or boarded up. You know, that took a lot of aspiration and believing in your community to open up a bakery in a town that's half closed. And she just looked around and said, we've got to do something. We've been a one-party town successively since FDR, and we aren't going anywhere. And so it was more about doing something different because the same wasn't working anymore. And what was Trump's message that connected with people like this? Because you, your book has a whole series of profiles of people who were very loyal Democrats and swung, in some cases, pretty strongly um, towards, towards Trump. What was it that he said? Yeah, she voted for Barack Obama twice. This is why people bristle when you, you, you turn and say, well, you just voted for Trump because you're a racist uh, or because you're dumb. And she, her attitude was like, was I dumb and a racist four years ago? You know, the, the, these arguments she thinks are, are completely false. Um, so his message was, first of all, he showed up and he asked for their vote. And the second thing was his message and people that live outside of Washington, I don't think they get this, but his message of making America great again was very aspirational. It is inherent in Americans, whether they have lived in this country for two weeks or their family has been here for 200 years. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And they believed that that was what he was promising them. These are people that have spent most of their lives listening, like most Americans, listening to very polished politicians who deliver very beautiful, eloquent speeches, but they very rarely get any results in their local communities. Yeah. This idea of make America great again, um, for people who oppose Donald Trump, they think it's going back to a time when America was the hegemonic power in the world immediately after World War II when America controlled 50% of of the global economy, that it's going back to a completely different time. Yeah, they've got that wrong. Making America great again is a direct reaction to President Obama making the decision, not in 2008. 2008, his message was bringing people together. Yeah, hope about hope. Yeah, hope and change. 2012 was a completely different message. It was Barack Obama made the decision that this was about multinationalism. This was about multiculturalism. And and America didn't need to be the best at everything. And we were citizens of the world. And that didn't strike very well with voters outside of very multinational communities. And so they, they didn't think of this as a backwards. They just wanted something that put America in a more stronger position, that America 
should be first and foremost. Um, these multinational relationships are important, but America should be the most important. And people looked at that and said these sort of multinational deals in this multinationalism has hurt them economically, has put them in a place of weakness, not for people who live in New York and Washington, but for people who live in East Liverpool, Ohio, or Akron, Ohio, or Ashtabula, Ohio, or Macomb County, Michigan. So let's talk a little bit about populism, because that's part of what underscores this. What's interesting is some of those anti-trade positions, they used to be positions of the Democratic Party. A lot of the pro-labor, kind of blue-collar politicians would have sounded a lot like Trump in the 80s. Did the Democratic Party just move away from these voters? Yeah, NAFTA. You you talked to people in the industrial Midwest, and they said that that did absolutely nothing for us. You know, when we decided to write the book, The Great Revolt, we wanted to we wanted to go back out there and and take a look and talk to these voters in counties and states that voted Obama, Obama, Trump and ask, was this election for Trump a fluke or a new populist coalition? We conclude at the end of the book that this is a new populist coalition. Donald Trump was not the cause of this. He was just the result of this. Let's talk about the survey that you did for The Great Revolt, your book that you co-wrote with Brad Todd. Um, the survey that um, was of, I think, five states, 12 counties. Am I right? Yeah, we went to the five Midwest states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Iowa. That uh, and these were all states that had voted for Barack Obama and the Democrats in 2008-2012 and, and then went for uh, Donald Trump in 2016. And you surveyed, I think it was 2,000 people? 2,000 self-identified Trump voters. This was to back up the reporting that I did to make sure that it wasn't just anecdotal. And for those voters, the most important issues... Uh, were were economic rather than build a wall with Mexico. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, look look at the top three reasons. So the first two are almost tied with each other, and they're based on on economics. Bring the, back the, manufacturing and and um, preserve Medicare and and Social Security and create jobs. Number four is the wall, and it's at like seven percent. And the other three are tied at essentially at the 30 percentile mark. If you look at that survey, it also says people, I believe it's 84 percent of people believe that, that their personal lives will get better. But they are deeply concerned about their communities. It's localism. People, they keep on calling it nationalism. People are very concerned about their localities, about their communities, about the carnage that the president described in his inauguration speech that everybody who didn't live in those communities laughed at. One of the things you said in your book that I got a kick out of was that in some ways these voters are a little bit like the well-heeled customers of the Whole Foods organic food market. Yeah. <laughs> Explain why. Exactly. I mean, it's the same sense of localism. Okay, when you go to um, Whole Foods, is they can you know go over to a tomato and find out that it was grown five miles from the Whole Foods, and everybody wants to buy it because it's local, or everybody wants to go sort of shop at farm to table. But that's localism. But when people that voted for Trump say, "Hey, our communities need 
like a little tender loving care, people are like, oh, that's nationalistic. That's racist. So it's this opposition to large, remote institutions controlling our lives. That's part of what drove it? Modern populism today is a healthy skepticism of all large things, big things, big institutions, um, big government, big entertainment, big sports. I mean, this coalition just isn't impacting the ballot box. It's having an impact in how we shop and, and how we consume things, how we consume Hollywood, our viewpoints on Hollywood. And look at the NFL. It's impacting the NFL. Look how their approval rating has just taken a deep dive uh, among its very base consumers, which are working class whites. And yet many large corporations on Wall Street have cheered Trump for reducing the number of regulations, not just on small businesses, but on big businesses. So there's a, there's oh, kind yeah. of a counter message there. No, no. Just, for them supporting that, that doesn't mean that the people still don't are, have hold skepticism towards them. It's all in their location and where they're making their decisions from. So what's, the, so what's the difference between what you're saying about localism and populism and, and what libertarians say about small government? Not much. There are a variety of different kinds of voters in this coalition, including libertarians. Um, take, a, take a look at the rough rebounders and the paralistas. Um, you will find a healthy amount of people who, who um, value libertarian ideals among those voters. As a part of a way to make your research clear, you divided some of these groups of voters up into uh, segments, as, as pollsters often do. And you helped show that it's not a single monolithic type of person who voted for, for, uh, for right. Trump. There's a, a collection of relatively different people. One was what you called the red-blooded, blue-collared. Tell us about those folks. These are former Democrats, like Bonnie Smith, uh, who voted Democrat all their life and became fed up with their party and believed that their party had strayed away from them. Um, they were essentially told, we don't need and or want you anymore. So those are the easily, these are union families typically, um, and these are very, uh, these were the ones that were most easily identified by um, uh, national uh, reporters. I think uh, ones like the Rough Rebounders or the Girl Gunpowder or the Paralistas. Yeah, explain Girl Gunpower. These are women who identify themselves as feminists. They believe in the empowerment of women. They are educated. They're college educated. They're almost always in a stable marriage and they have children and they live in the suburbs. How do they how do they differ from, say, Hillary Clinton feminist supporters? Second Amendment. They believe the most empowering thing a woman can do is protect herself. And they believed in protecting the Second Amendment. And during the primary campaign between Bernie Sanders, because Bernie Sanders lives in Vermont and gun ownership and protection of the Second Amendment is very important, Hillary Clinton made the strategic decision to go left of of him on on the Second Amendment. And because she did that, she alienated a lot of potential voters. Look, the girl gun power voters, those women, those are who Hillary targeted 
in her ads. Do you remember the ad where how Donald Trump is saying like all these awful things and you see like five little kids in front of a television watching it? I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. So we thought it was really important to understand why those ads, and they were great ads, why those women were unwilling to still vote for her. And, and these, these women voters just were very pragmatic about their vote. They don't like his comportment. Uh, their belief in the protection of the Second Amendment was of the utmost importance to them. And, but, you know, we, we didn't listen to them. We didn't pay attention to them. We didn't talk to them, meaning my profession, because we made the assumption based on previous models that they were going to vote for Hillary. One of the most interesting things that came up, I thought, uh, in, the, in the demographic groups you identified was the people you called the rough rebounders. <laughs> right? Yeah. So tell us about these folks. I love the rough rebounders. They're just like the, the – the, I love the name, their fighting spirit. Look, these are people who have had some sort of tragedy or setback in their life, whether it was multiple marriages, um, illness – a death in the family, economic setback. 30% of them voted for Barack Obama. But they they loved how Donald Trump not only uh, broke up the Democratic Party, but they also loved how he broke up the Republican Party. They are the people that believe that the, the larger forces are working against them. And in him, they saw themselves. Uh, in not only in his comportment, uh, but on how he took on big entities and didn't care what the reaction was to his unorthodox ways. Okay, Jim, before we hear more from Selena Zito on the future of populism, this is the time we ask for help. Help, as in downloading us, subscribing to us, telling your friends about us. We are the only news solutions podcast, the one that talks every week to expert guests, and we're free. So please help us on iTunes and Google Podcasts by rating and reviewing How Do We Fix It? Five-star ratings and glorious reviews help our Google search visibility. We become a taller tree in the jungle that is podcasting. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with Selena Zito, who is the co-author, along with Brad Todd, of the book, The Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. Now, Selena, I've been following you on Twitter for quite a few years. And I noticed as he was making his way through the primaries, and most people like me and most pundits thought that he didn't have a chance, you came up with what became sort of a shorthand for explaining his appeal, you said that the elites tend to take him uh, literally, but not seriously. But the people who he was getting through to out there in the heartland, they took him seriously, (laughs) but not literally. What did you mean by that? Well, voters saw him through a different prism. Um, They had spent their entire lives listening to politicians telling them incredibly, beautifully, eloquent, inspiring speeches. But there's not much authenticity to them because they knew that they were massaged by 13 different staffers, that they were redlined, that they were focus group before the politician ever said them. And at the end of the day, no matter what that politician said, no matter how pretty it was, um, they didn't get the results. With, with Trump, He is not a very good speaker. He talks as though he is trying to sell you a condo, right? But they had known this dude for 30 years. On on television, right. Yeah, Yeah. on television. They knew who he was. And the more that my profession ridiculed them because of that support, the more they doubled down on that support because they thought that they had been betrayed by these larger institutions or at least forgotten by them. So there was no trust left in their criticism of him. We speak about politics often in very earnest tones. Um, To what extent was the fun factor part of what um, built support for Trump. You have described his rallies as as real rallies rather than just campaign events. Yeah, it's like a tailgate party. People bring their grandparents, they bring their neighbors, they bring their children, they bring their folding chairs so they can sit outside and talk until the doors open. And, and it's a real sort of sense of community. Uh, whereas the, uh, the, uh, most of the other reporters will arrive at the airport, they drive up, they get there seven minutes early, and they miss all of the happy part of it, right, the community part of it. And they don't know what's going on in this community. And, and then they'll find, because they get there at such a short period of time, your natural instinct is to pick out the oddest-looking person and focus in on them. So the person sitting at home watching this rally also doesn't get the whole story, right? They get the weirdo that, that is shouting at someone. You know, he's only one of 25,000 people, but that's all you see. So you therefore think everybody there is like that. And they pick seven different phrases where Trump says the most outrageous things, and they run that as a clip. So if this is ahead of the election or even today, you're like, these people are crazy, and so is he. 
But they miss all the sort of economic things that he talks about that speaks to them about their community. So you make a really compelling case for why people change their vote from from Obama to, to Trump in these five states that you've profiled and, and have traveled extensively in. Where I'm a little less convinced is the idea that populism will outlast Donald Trump. Talk about that, because to me, it's a list of grievances rather than moving the country forward. Look, if populism was measured as the height of Mount Everest, we're at base camp. So (laughs) (laughs) we've got a long way to go. And it's not just the Republicans. The Democrats are equally populist. They're equally dissatisfied and and skeptical of larger institutions. Look how the DNC has been completely blown up. Uh, You know, look at just in Pennsylvania alone. In Pennsylvania, four young, inexperienced female DSA-backed candidates, it's Democratic Socialist of America, unseated four male, long-serving Democratic incumbents for state legislative seats. And And you're saying this is part of this? This is part of it. We're absolutely part of it. It's just on the other side of it. Well, let's talk a little bit about populism. What if they're just wrong and these policies don't work? Just because people passionately believe that a certain policy is going to help them, like free college for everybody, say, or a $15 minimum wage, you might really believe that's going to help people and be quite surprised when it totally backfires. What if Trump's populism backfires, you know, particularly in the trade arena, and doesn't wind up helping all these people, in fact, hurting people, and people lose jobs. Let me just say this right now. This is not the worst time ever in America. No. If you believe that, I want you to go to the library and buy a couple history books, particularly on 1860s or 1960s. Or 1930s. Yeah. Or 1930s. Or, or World War One or, or World or War Two. No, we, we, this is what happens. And, and, and we adopt some of the populist policies. And then if they don't work, we eventually drop them. I always ask people to just take a look at our red and blue maps from, from our very beginning up into today. And you see these incredible shifts. The Democratic Party of 1930 uh, or even 1900 is completely different than the Democratic Party of today. And the same thing goes for the Republicans. That's, that's, um, a, that's a wise historical perspective. <laughs> Every once in a while, I have wisdom. <laughs> Why do you feel this way about us, in Jim's phrase, romanticizing the past and catastrophizing the present? Uh, you know, I spend a lot of my time on the road. I always take back roads. I never take an interstate. I never fly. I always meet someone that is remarkable for unremarkable reasons. People live in the moment. And also, I find the majority of the people that I talk to outside of Washington and New York, they do not obsess about politics. They do not you know, live and die by their iPhone. I feel great about this country. And, and I say that not because of my personal feelings, but because of my personal interactions with people of all different political stripes and genders and racial backgrounds and, and different histories. And I think our country is going to be just fine. Selena Zito, thanks very much. What a wrap up. 
we just interviewed a really good reporter. But in terms of her analysis of populism and how big its future may be, I'm a skeptic. I'm not sure that populism, as it's defined by Donald Trump, will survive him. So what does this remind me of? It reminds me a little bit of Occupy Wall Street and the Bernie Sanders movement. People, they know they don't like big banks. They know there's something about the way the economy is working they don't like. They're not really sure how to fix it, but they're unified in their antipathy towards something. That, that, that antipathy can help grow a movement, but it's hard to keep a movement going in the long run. The movement really is, to a large extent, about smashing things, about about changing the dominant order. But when it comes to concrete ways to replace that order with something better, I, I, I don't think it's there. Yeah, well, you know, I mean... I mean, Trump- it's, it's, I mean, populism is really on the wrong side of history. We, we live in a global economy. I mean, we need trade, and many communities including rural communities, need immigrants to get the job done. So what happens when you're a populist and you get somebody elected and then the populist policies don't actually work? I think we might have some of that with Trump. I think that if you're a conservative, pro-business Republican, then things like lower taxes are great. Things like less regulation are good to a point. I don't think people want to see all regulations go away. They don't want to see all controls on pollution go away, but they do want to see less regulation of business. So that kind of stuff looks good. But the the trade war could really backfire in ways that really do hurt the heartland. Having said that, right now, the economy by most measures is pretty strong. Oh, absolutely. And is stronger today than it was two years ago. Yes. I want to end, though, with, with just one positive thought, which came out of this and, and it also plays in with several of our recent shows, and that's the rise in importance of localism, yeah. of local communities. Um, there's a really interesting survey, I think, by the Heartland Institute that said that more than 60% of Americans trust and have faith in their local institutions, and they like the direction of their local politics. And yet when you ask them about national politics, it's only 15%. Who, who approve of Congress, who approve of the way things are done in Washington. And, you know, I always love it when different How Do We Fix It episodes kind of mesh together and overlap. And we interviewed James Fallows about his great book about the renewal of small towns and medium-sized cities. And, and Dar Williams, And, and then, you know, Dar Williams on a very similar topic. And here's Selena Zito hitting a similar note, that people are, they believe in their local communities. They want to support their local communities. They may do that in very, very different ways, but this is something that I think needs more attention. That is a positive note that, that I, I would like to wrap up on. Okay, <laughs> let's do that. Avoid my usual pessimism and cynicism. <laughs> it's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davis. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. The music is by Lou Stravinsky. And we are a production of Davies Content. Check out our website. It's daviescontent.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.